0: Every Kentuckian has the right to live and move freely around their community without fear. Andy Bashir has failed in this obligation to support the men and women of law enforcement and has failed to protect our citizens.
1: Attention passengers, we ask that you
2: please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Fly over country with Scott Jennings is prepared for
3: takeoff. A big pay raise in Jefferson County presidential politics. Daniel Cameron, a big law enforcement uh, initiative, announced this past week. But first, on this week's edition of Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Scott is joining us from New York City, where you've been on CNN all week long there, Scott. But we have news from within Kentucky and the media circles. What's going on?
4: Yeah, thanks, Joe, uh, and I appreciate everybody listening. I am in New York. I've been here for several days doing several different shows, including appearing, by the way, I want to give a shout-out to my good friend Caitlin Collins, whose show The Source officially launched in the 9 o'clock hour this week. I was on her uh, maiden voyage on Monday night at 9, and we're recording this at 7.42 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday night. So as soon as I wrap up here, I'm going to head over and uh, do Caitlin's show again tonight and we'll be back next week as well so she's off to a great start uh, has had some great interviews Joe she had Glenn Youngkin the governor of Virginia uh, who I know you liked, and also Mike Pence so off to a great start for Caitlin but yes in the world of media oh wait before we do this we have to welcome back Jared Crawford. Oh, hey. Jared's, here. Hey. Jared's here. Hey, Actually, wait, wait, wait. Jared's yeah, I'm, actually here. I'm alive. He's out on a sign here today. That's right.
1: So, yeah. look at, Jared looking so is, fast. Yeah, end, Jared, yeah.
4: Jared, as you all know, moved away and he's in rural Vermont. And despite being submerged underwater tonight, Jared has joined the pod remotely. Jared, how, how is it up there in the land of maple and whatever?
0: So all of Maple and Bernie, <laughs> yeah, all of that kind of funny. It all ended up kind of tying together in the last few days. We thankfully did not have any major damage, but cities near us, Ludlow, which is not far from us, is underwater. The capital is underwater. Our basement had about two feet of water. Oh no! Up Whoa. until uh, last night, but the uh, the great folks at the Wallingford Fire Department came and pumped it out for us. The fire marshal is my landlord's neighbor, and he, uh, funny enough, makes his own maple syrup and maple candy. So, <laughs> so boys, check your, uh, you know, your mailboxes soon. I'm gonna get up there and meet the fire marshal, get some homemade maple candy, and I'll be sending it uh, to Louisville, Kentucky, for you guys. So it all tied together. Uh, well, but interesting few days.
4: Congrats on living in what I imagine is either a sitcom or some sort of murder mystery play. (laughs) So, okay. (laughs) Terrific. Um, uh, So, Jared's with us. Sean is here. Hello. Uh, Kevin is here. Joe, you heard. Guys, we – well, first of all, as you all – any listener to the pod knows, we really, really don't like Joel Pitt, the editorial cartoonist of the Lexington Arrow Leader, because he has printed – drawn and printed – many racist cartoons against our friend and friend of the pod, Daniel Cameron. We found out today that Joel Pitt has been fired by the Lexington Herald leader, which is owned by McClatchy, which owns a bunch of newspapers. And apparently they got rid of a couple of editorial cartoonists and some papers, but one of them was Joel Pitt. Now, as you all know, we have our differences with Joel And we normally wouldn't want to – but we normally wouldn't want to kick somebody while they're down. But in his case, I'm going to make an exception (laughs) because he's earned it. He's absolutely earned it. It should have been let go a long time ago. But in the midst of all this news that Joel Pett had been fired by Lexington Herald leader, the Flyover Country podcast received an anonymous tip. An anonymous tip came in to the pod. And our tipster gentleman was in a Lexington, Kentucky comedy club on July the 11th. So this was last night. We're recording on Wednesday. This was last night. And Joel Pett apparently, in what was billed as an open mic night, went up to the microphone and performed some sort of a routine that contained a number of gross, awful, racist jokes about Daniel Cameron, the Kentucky Attorney General and Republican nominee for governor. I'm not going to repeat the jokes because they're racist and they're nasty. And it's terrible. But we have heard from this tipster who was in the room that he heard Joel Pett, make these racist jokes. We did a little research and on the internet, we did find that someone who el- someone else who was in the room took pictures of the event and has a picture of Joel Pett performing. So we know the following things happened. We know that Joel Pett, according to the internet sources we have here with the photos, went to this comedy club last night. We know he performed a routine because we can see him on stage. We have an anonymous tipster, telling us that he made vile racist jokes about Daniel Cameron. We also know that today he was fired by the Lexington Herald leader. And we also know that over the past, you know, several months, he has drawn in years, he's drawn a number of racist cartoons
3: about Daniel Cameron. If I could, Scott, the racist cartoons didn't start with Daniel Cameron. And they, there have been racist cartoons before that. I remember one in particular about uh, one of Map Evans' children. That he, oh, that, he yes. that he posted. So this is this is not this is a a personal vendetta apparently against the only Camera. This is a there's a trend here. There's a pattern of racist material being printed in the Lexington Herald Leader and on their website that's been drawn by Joel Pet.
4: Yeah, he has been the uh, the leading edge of racist cartoons in Kentucky for for quite some time, and now he's without a job. And I sent an email on behalf of the podcast which I consider to be a legitimate media outlet and news source to Peter Baniak, the editor of the Herald leader. And I told him in my email that we had gotten this tip that, uh, we, I mean, I just faithfully told him what we had heard that pet was at this club and that he had made these vile racist jokes that we were going to report that these rumors via an anonymous tip had come into us and that we wanted to know if the Herald leader would confirm or deny Mr. Pett's appearance at the club and whether he made the jokes as reported by the source who was in the room. And we also asked Peter if the Herald leader endorses these comments as reported to us. And in the meantime, I also provided uh, Peter Bainiac, the screenshots of the Facebook posts that we found that clearly show Joel Pett at the microphone at this comedy club. I had asked Peter Baniac, I'd given him some time. I'd asked him to, if he wanted to comment to us, we'd be happy to read his comments on the air about these racist jokes. But unfortunately he did not reply. So at the moment the Herald leader is silent silent on the racist comedy routine as alleged by an anonymous tipster of Joel Pett. So what we know is Joe and and panel that Pett was there and we have a person who was in the room who has described to us the jokes. We don't have a recording of it yet. However, if anyone out there is listening and does have a recording of it, we gladly play it right here on the pod.
3: There's the update from Scott Jennings on the latest in the media circles here, Kevin.
2: Yeah, it, it kind of baffles the mind that this happens but then when you look at the body of joel Pett's work it all kind of makes sense this this has been leading up to something right i mean like like you've described it's it's been years of these these cartoons that are just totally inappropriate and now it comes to a head at some some open mic comedy club um yeah it's it's not necessarily a big shame to see him leave the herald leader
4: I'd like to I'd like to hear from somebody out there who was also there. I mean, we've gotten one person who was there, but if, if you were there and you were offended by this, we'd love to hear it because, honestly, um, I mean, th- this sort of follows, Sean, something that happened earlier this week with uh, a reporter named Austin Horn, who, by the way, I like, and I think Austin does a good job. But he was asking Daniel Cameron at a press conference to defend comments by... Eric Dieters, um, you know, uh, Dieters had made these comments The Thomas Massey campaign had put them out. There's been a back and forth between those two, not to to get into it. But anyway, Dieters made terrible remarks. And so you have Austin Horn uh, goes to a Cameron event and asks Daniel to, like, you know, take ownership of all these Dieters remarks. But Daniel's reply I thought was really remarkable. I don't know if we have it and can read it. I don't think it was reported in any articles, but this was on July 10th that Daniel had a, he had a press conference to announce his law enforcement coalition. No, I'm sorry, his law enforcement platform, his public safety platform. And Kevin, do you have like the transcript of what Daniel then told Austin Horn, who's the political reporter for the Herald Leader,
2: That's exactly right. That's what I have. Uh, Austin, like you said, asked him to condemn these comments. And Daniel says, quote, we're going to focus on winning in November. Austin, let me just say that. I think the world of you and consider you a friend. But you work for a newspaper that has a cartoonist who just openly mocks people of faith, openly mocks people who are Christians. The governor, Andy Bashir, rather than stand with the values of men and women and children of our commonwealth, has decided to stand with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence who mock openly people of faith and Catholics in particular. I think the question and focus over the course of the next 17 weeks is going to be on Andy Bashir and how his values are inconsistent with a majority of men, women, and children of all
3: 120 counties. And then at that point, uh, Austin interjects and in responds and says, Sure, but do you condemn those comments?
2: Look, I'm focused on Andy Bashir, and I know Andy Bashir is going to condemn the Sisters... And I want to know if Andy Bashir is going to condemn the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. I want to know if your newspaper is going to fire Joel Pett for running negative, mocking portrayals of Christians and Catholics and at some point is referred to me as a member of the KKK. That's unsustainable. That should not happen as a newspaper. And it goes on from there. I can't do a good Daniel impression, but I tried.
4: I thought this exchange, Joe, was quite interesting because it has become, I think, sort of like a sort of almost a lazy sort of form of journalism to just run around asking Republicans whether they will disavow this, that or the other. And Daniel wasn't having any of it. I mean, look, Daniel Cameron's responsible for Daniel Cameron. He's not responsible for Eric Dieters or anyone else on the Internet or anyone else he meets. He's responsible for Daniel Cameron. But what is particularly weird about this exchange, in my opinion, is that you have a white reporter asking a black candidate whether he will denounce <laughs> racist comment. I mean, what's the implication that if you don't acquiesce to my demands that you, Daniel Cameron, are the real racist? I mean, that is sort of an undercurrent of of what some people on the left, I mean, that's what uh, some people at the Courier-Journal, including Joe Girth, have basically argued and Ricky Jones, that despite Daniel being an African-American, he's the real racist in this campaign. I just find all this to be extraordinarily weird very weird but you see it all the time it happens at the national level too you know x person says something and then we have several news cycles of running around you know do you condemn this do you condemn that do you condemn this and daniel turned it right on his head and which i thought was was fine I, i actually wish
3: more republicans would do that i think it's pretty remarkable that daniel was pretty prescient in asking austin horn if the newspaper was going to fire joel pett and as of this afternoon joel pett is out of a job do you think that's the first
2: time anybody at the herald leader thought oh maybe some people are offended by these cartoons
4: they've heard Uh, by the way but i don't know if they actually have heard it by the way I, i would like to say i actually think austin horn is a is a pretty good reporter and has done a good job at the herald leader i think he was at the frankfurt state journal before that i don't have any problem Really, with Austin Horn. And we've, in recent days, uh, recent podcasts, I should say, uh, praised Tessa Duval and, and some of the other journalists that the there. I think they're doing a fine job. I don't think that line of questioning is smart or appropriate and would tell him <laughs> if, I, if he were on here. Uh,
3: but to I to I his credit, Daniel, Scott, to his credit, though, he, did, he actually did publish his own transcript, right?
4: He did. And that, and that's good. I just I don't know. I, I find but you see this all the time now. It's like I'm going to scour the Internet and find something that I personally don't like and then go find all the Republicans and see if they'll condemn it and then turn it into something if they won't acquiesce to my demand. I mean, Daniel Cameron or any other Republican really isn't responsible for scouring the Internet and auditing every comment by every person. And then sort of keeping a log of. What they condemn, what they don't, like I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And
2: rushing to a microphone every single day just to talk about, okay, here are all the things I need to apologize for from other people today. That's and not I what a campaign Daniel's, is.
4: And I think Daniel's right. Has a single reporter asked Andy Bashir whether he takes ownership of every crazy, stupid, idiotic thing said by something on somebody on the left, including the sisters, of perpetual indulgence? Has anybody asked Andy Bashir if he agrees? about turning a crucifix into a stripper pole, because that's what they do. I haven't heard it if they have. That would be the that would be the the uh you know that would be what you would do. But it seems to me that it's usually Republicans who find themselves on the receiving end of these uh Inquisitions. So anyway, Daniel and and Austin had this exchange on July the 10th. Pet 11. appears at the It was the
1: 11th. It happened yesterday.
4: Oh yeah, you're right. So they have this exchange on the 11th. Then pet appears at the comedy club the night of the 11th. And then the morning of the 12th, we find out that pet has been fired by the Lexington arrow leader. So I guess that's the order of, of business. And we don't really know what was going on internally over there, but, uh, it's been sort of an, an interesting week, uh, for a guy who has, I think, done some pretty terrible things during the course of his career, as you pointed out, Joe, back to Matt Bevin and, and all the way up through Daniel
3: Cameron. And again, not wishing any ill will on, on anyone personally, but certainly it's a it's a good day for Kentucky if there is one less outlet or an opportunity for racist material to be broadcast or to be disseminated across the state. So that's, that's yeah, a good. I, I actually like political cartoons. I know some
4: politicians who collect them. <laughs> and so does so does everybody here. <laughs> and uh, and I and I, you know, I, I think there's a I actually think the the medium and the, you know, the usefulness of it is 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 real. But I think when you hate someone so much. Uh, that you can't stop. Sort of dragging racist. Uh, material into it. I mean, I mean, the, I mean, the, the truth is, Shopep hates the fact that Daniel Cameron is a black Republican. That, I mean, it's obvious,
2: mm-hmm. and he
4: hated Matt Bevan so much that he drugged one of his African American children that he'd adopted into it. I mean, that I mean, his hatred for Republicans runs so deep that it, I think, clouded his judgment about dragging racism into these into these cartoons. I think I think they should find a cartoonist who isn't so full of hate and rage. Republicans. I think it's fine to have a point of view but I think when that point of view clouds your judgment to the point that obviously pets had been clouded it's it's a problem and my guess is the newspaper heard about it from readers
3: and uh, rightfully so. Well we talked about it before but unfortunately and this is true this this can happen to anyone who lives in a bubble but if you only surround yourself with people who are so like-minded and um, you know the ends justify the means, at that point, you can say anything you want about the other side, no matter how vile, racist, or anti-Semitic, or fill-in-the-blanks that you want, anti-Catholic, anti-Christian, all the different things that have been going on in that in, in his cartoons. And it's somehow justified because as long as that's my enemy, that's fine. So this is a gut check for everybody who reads that.
4: I think the,
3: the historic nature
4: of Daniel's candidacy, if he were a Democrat, if the shoes were on the other feet here, it would be celebrated every day yep. by reporters, columnists, cartoonists. Anyone working for a media outlet every day would be falling all over themselves to celebrate and report upon the historic nature of Daniel's candidacy. He's a Republican. So in, instead, you have people like Joel Pett and others in the media here. Joe, Joe Girth is another tripping all over themselves to uh, denigrate and destroy what Daniel Cameron stands for, he would be the first black governor of Kentucky. He'd be the first elected black Republican governor in the United States. It's history. It's historic. It is a step in the right direction. It's important. But you have some of these folks who are so blinded by their partisan rage uh, that they can't understand the positive uh, aspects and attributes of this campaign. So I guess we've spent enough time on it. We'd love to I hope I hear back from Peter because I do think it's important for the Herald leader to comment on. And by the way, even though we didn't repeat the jokes that we were told, I did describe them in my email to, to Peter Baniak, who I believe is the boss over there. Because I'd like to know whether he thinks that's appropriate for a representative of the newspaper to say out loud. I mean, you know, I guess he's off the clock when he's at a comedy club, but, you know, he still, I guess, is employed. And I, I think I read on the Internet, maybe his last cartoon's going to be July 23rd. So, in my mind, Joel Pett is still a representative of that newspaper. And given what we've seen him put in print, what we had described to us is consistent. and i, I think we ought to hear from them about whether this is appropriate part of the discourse because I certainly I certainly don't think
3: it is Sean, in the meantime, uh, speaking of D- Daniel Cameron, a uh, big announcement in Louisville on uh, Tuesday, getting a lot of attention across the state. and Tragically, within Louisville, just another violent few days uh, that, that, that this, hap- this so happens to happen you know, to be uh, commenting on, uh, just I mean, w- with children being shot and uh, just, just terrible things going on. But a, a multifaceted law enforcement uh, strategy uh, being announced by
0: Cameron.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we, I think we have a little clip of it. Uh, Kevin?
0: Every Kentuckian has the right to live and move freely around their community without fear. Andy Bashir has failed in this obligation to support the men and women of law enforcement and has failed to protect our citizens. Between 2020 and now, cities across con- the country have been transformed by a liberal agenda that places the protection of criminals ahead of the safety of honest, hardworking citizens.
1: Yeah, so Daniel... Unveiled this proposal this week, or ca- we're calling it the Cameron Public Safety Plan. And uh, I'll hit the high points real quick. One is is you know to focus on retaining and recruiting police officers, which is a huge deal here in Louisville, but also across the whole entire state, especially in a culture that has demeaned and uh, attacked police over the course of the last few years uh, to make sure that they know that, that they're valued as employees. Another one uh, that got quite a bit of attention was to pass a bill that gives the death penalty to people who kill cops, uh, which I think uh, definitely did get a lot of attention. Another another thing that we have talked about on this podcast before, and actually uh, when you all were doing the primary interviews uh, with the gubernatorial field, we actually uh, broke some news here on this podcast about adding a uh, KSP or Kentucky State Police post here in Louisville to assist with reducing crime and supporting Louisville Metro Police. And if you all remember, to take you back a little bit, Governor Bashir criticized Attorney General Cameron for floating that idea and said that if uh, the, the Attorney General felt that way, that must mean that he doesn't have support for Louisville Metro Police, uh, which couldn't be further from the truth. As the Attorney General said yesterday in his remarks, and has said in the time since that, you know, he grew up in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, where there is a Kentucky State Police post, and there is also city police, but no one thought that because there was a state police post there in Elizabethtown that you didn't have faith in your local city police. This is all about giving uh, more resources to uh, support locals and also uh, Kentucky State Police, uh, can do different things and has access to other tools that that maybe the city police officers or your county sheriff may not have uh, access to. So that's kind of the high points. Yeah. Um, another thing was a a, a a proposal that the attorney general made to pass a statewide wiretapping law to give Kentucky state police the ability to go uh, to request a wiretap protecting civil liberties, following the kind of the same structure of the federal process. I'll tell you one
3: thing that I think will really resonate in Jefferson County, where there has been just this epidemic of carjackings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My goodness. I mean, it has been it is crazy the number of people that I run into mm-hmm. that they that, that, that oh yeah, it's up at the summit or wherever it happened to be. Right. I mean, I shouldn't put out one shopping center, but I'm saying it happens all over the place. And it's it it truly is just it is frightening. And and to what Daniel first said in that comment about just you should be able to live in your community
1: with without fear. Right. Yeah. And this is just uh, carjackings so, went up in Louisville in the last couple of years up 200%. It is. That bad. is a mind-boggling number. And so one of the one of the pieces of the proposal is to have passed a standalone carjacking statute. So compare this to Andy Bashir who released 1700 criminals out of jail in his first year in office. Who then a third of them committed felonies but together if you if you add together the people who committed felonies and the people who committed misdemeanors, nearly fifty percent of the people that he released recommitted.
4: You know what's amazing about what you just said, Sean, is this extraordinarily dishonest ad campaign that Andy Bashir is running against Daniel Cameron somehow blaming him for the bevan pardons. <laughs> Daniel wasn't in office <laughs> during Matt bevin. <laughs> Daniel has nothing to do with Matt Bevan yet the Bashir campaign is running these dishonest ads trying to link Daniel to Bevan's pardons which by the way were stupid mm-hmm. i mean dumb bad like the Bevan pardons were were terrible and he deserves to be pilloried for it it's just that daniel had nothing to do with it
1: and daniel and, daniel, ahead, daniel referred that matter to the fbi for investigation and was praised yes. by now congressman morgan mcgarvey at the time and and newspapers that we wouldn't consider to be conservative by any stretch of the imagination uh, endorsed him for putting partisanship aside to doing the right thing.
4: Yeah, so Daniel comes into office, inherits this issue that's that's breaking, and he handles it just right. Now the Bashir campaign is making an issue of it on television. When at the same time, you want to talk about two can if you're worried about pardons, there's two candidates in this race. One has never pardoned anybody. His name is Daniel. Cameron. The other is Andy Bashir, who has pardoned and commuted the sentences of thousands of people. And by the way, let's be clear a lot of these folks were let out of jail because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And some of them were pretty young. And they went on, went out, as Sean just said, and went back on the streets and wound up committing heinous crimes, which, you know, you want to do the math on the pardons, fine. Daniel's at zero. Bashir's at how many Sean? At least 1700. At least. That's just his first and year in yeah.
2: office.
4: Yeah, and so I, you know, I mean there's really no comparison. And one thing about Daniel's plan that I like is that he wants to reform the parole board and make it harder to let people out of jail. And what Daniel said at his press conference was we're going to put violent people in jail and we're going to keep them there. And under Andy Bashir, violent and bad people get put in jail and then they're let out. And that's a key difference. Jared, so I'm glad Daniel is is going on offense on this because this ad campaign has been particularly dishonest and and downright stupid.
3: Jared, I know that you have spent a great deal of time policy wise on law enforcement and and public safety issues in communities. Let me ask you on to, to pivot a little bit though on as a political matter. It seems to me that the populace is starving for someone to respond. To these crises that are going on in our communities,
0: yeah, I think it's that's what's so frustrating about Andy Bashir's Beshear, position on this is it. You know, not only has he sort of like abdicated responsibility, he has no plan really. I mean, he's uh, he, he doesn't even really talk about violent crime in Louisville or these sorts of issues and uh, violence specifically, which we generally consider kind of shootings and homicides have been on the rise really for the last six, seven years in most major cities. And we've seen that trending as a larger issue for voters, right? The economy, inflation tend to still be kind of like one and two. But violent crime, and the way we sort of think of it is like there's more shootings, there's more like all those sorts of things, is not only actually going up, the public sees it going up mm-hmm. or the public sort of understands it's going up. Um, which again, don't, that, that doesn't always happen with things, right? Crime can kind of go down and because something happens, people still think their neighborhood isn't safe right now, crime is going up and people know it's going up. Um, and so I think it's, look, this is a holistic plan, uh, to tackle things like gang violence in Louisville, but also, you know, issues with overdose in rural Kentucky. Right. Uh, and so it's sort of a holistic approach. So I think that's really important, but Again, I, has Andy Bashir talked about any of these things? I mean, does he even have a plan for most of these issues that Daniel, I mean, have you ever heard him talk about the parole board or the fact that he's directed you know, the Department of Corrections to go against programs like GVI uh, that you know Democrat mayors in Louisville are, are proponents of? I mean, it's, it's, it's not only that he doesn't have a plan, he's working against the sort of things that people really care about right now.
2: Here's the bottom line. This is, this is 12 points, 12 priorities. That are extremely well thought out, extremely well articulated, and it, they're going to address the problems that we're facing right now. And, Sean, a couple of them you mentioned involve the General Assembly passing new legislation. Of course. And I can't think of anybody who has a worse relationship with the General Assembly than Andy Bashir. I, I mean, um, some, some of these folks, I think, in the press release today in the General Assembly, have already endorsed what Daniel wants to do. They said, yeah, give us a governor who's willing to work with us, and we'll get these things done, and we'll protect Kentucky families.
1: Yeah, so Speaker Osborne, you know, said we welcome the day that we have a governor that we can work with to reduce crime and support law enforcement officers. And, you know, something else I want to say is, you know, we went through the whole Bevan pardon saga, and we all remember the news stories and how many news stories went into the details of each individual person that had been pardoned. Where are those news stories about each of the individual people that Andy Bashir's pardoned and let out of jail? Not, Have we had... Only, there's too many. There's too many. You know, the Courier-Journal got a Pulitzer Prize for their coverage of the, the Bevan pardons. You would think that they might be a little interested in looking at the Democrat governor's pardons. Get another Pulitzer out of Get it. Get another Pulitzer out of it, Courier-Journal. Yeah.
4: Well, and not just what they did, but what they've done since. I mean, there's, there's lots of stories to be written here. You know what I like about the Cameron plan is it's meaty, it's substantive, it's real. It obviously shows Cameron is, is in this race for real reasons that when he becomes governor in December, he is going to begin doing substantive things to make the state better. You know, this isn't a superficial campaign. It's not a dishonest campaign, which I think Andy Bashir's campaign is extremely dishonest right now. It's an actual substantive me campaign that's going to translate into real change yep. and change for the better on an issue that I think a lot of people care about. So, he anyway. said
2: he wants to make Kentucky the best place in the country to be a police officer, and that's something we should all support.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Sadly, uh, again, I'll just reiterate, some of the, I have some friends who uh, – work downtown and uh, they have in the past have always kind of told me that I've exaggerated or this is just maybe a more of a political thing and they I got a call from one guy today who said you know it's bad <laughs> it is just bad and uh, and our community I do think the community to your point Jared and my question to you earlier um, there are times certainly there are people are accused of, of making hay out of out of a situation or trying to play up stats one way or the other people can see the truth right in front of them they know what's going on in our community. And people who love Kentucky, people who love Louisville, they don't – this is not a political issue. This is a family issue. This is a situation to say who's going to do something about it. So hopefully that will uh, be some traction here moving forward. Let's uh, let's talk about presidential politics if we can. There was a story – what was the story you saw, Kevin, this past week where uh, – was it Axios? Who was it that was talking about yeah. – uh, about the president and you know i i know he's a kevin kevin
4: how do you not know that Ah, why ah. why don't you know what joe is going what are you doing what is happening right now kevin get (laughs) out
1: of here where are his aviators and his his ice cream cone
2: now that i've been yelled at i (laughs) finally feel accepted and respected that yelling at me finally fulfilled me as an employee yeah this is an interesting
4: yeah. yeah that's right now now that i've yelled at kevin we can finally realize how close we really are. I finally – you finally earned my respect.
3: That's what I call the run switch right <laughs> of passage. So this Axios story, uh, this intrigues me for two reasons. One is the fact that there is apparently that the president has an anger management issue, uh, and the people are afraid to go see him in his office like by themselves. They, they bring along a buddy. So there's a buddy system within the White House to see the president. But I also find it interesting, Scott – I'm always just kind of keeping an eye on this Democratic primary situation. And when you see the worm beginning to turn a little bit on media that otherwise would be friendly to the president, it just makes me wonder what's what's happening there behind the scenes. What what was your take there on that story this past week? Well, I look, I
4: think there are obviously people who are genuinely afraid of Joe Biden <laughs> who are talking to reporters. I mean, the fact that they said that White House staff are literally too afraid to meet with the president alone. They're literally too afraid to meet with him alone. So the way this was explained away by all the the Biden partisans was, well, you know, this just shows how in control Joe Biden is. This just shows he's running the show. This just shows that, you know, he's like in the weeds on things and so on and so (laughs) forth. And of course, other people, other people might argue that this just shows the, you know, opening signs of dementia because, you know, rageful outbursts are, are part of that. And anybody who's been through it knows. Uh, but that's how they explained it away. And so I'm not I don't know, Joe. I mean, look, I think there's still a reason that Gavin Newsom is circling around like some opportunistic vulture out there. And I think there's a reason that, you know, RFK Jr. and Marianne Williamson are still dragging 20, 30 percent of the Democrats right now uh, who don't want to do this. I think there's a reason that the polling continues to show that majorities of the American people and even Democrats don't want Biden to run again. I took this story as a cry for help, honestly, <laughs> inside the White House. People are too afraid to go into a room alone with Joe Biden. I mean, think about think about how much fear you must be feeling in order to not go into a room with somebody. I mean, that's, that's a pretty remarkable statement.
2: If, if I were uh, Gavin Newsom right now, I would spend a lot of money just running this ad.
0: But I'm not joking when I say this. If you're ever working with me and I hear you treat another colleague with disrespect, talk down to someone. I promise you I
2: will fire you on the spot. Fire you on the spot. They'd fire Joe Imagine. Biden on the spot. You know How what's amazing. dishonest. You, you know what's
4: amazing is that Biden has like this history of of making these like declarative statements that almost always wind up being violated there's one so he makes this declarative statement i'll fire you on the spot you know he also back in 2020 declared that there's one phone call that he'll always take he's never too busy to take a phone call from one of his grandchildren Mm -hmm. and what have we found and what have we found out from the news lately joe that, in fact, he's never even met one of his grandchildren, who's four years old, Navy, and, and even though she knows her grandfather's president of the United States, and he has no relationship with her, and he's even held strategy meetings in the White House to instruct everybody that he has six and not seven grandchildren. It's funny. He makes these like sweeping declarative statements that make him seem, oh, he's a kindly grandfather. He'll take the calls. Oh, he will make sure that everyone treats other people with respect. No. He lives none of this. And if you haven't read Charlie Cook's piece at the National Review about Joe Biden being an a-hole, I highly recommend it because I was, he just disinestrates Biden. I was about to quote oh. that,
1: because it, it's a really good piece, but it, it, I'll just read one or two lines from it. Biden is a decrepit, dishonest, unpleasant blowhard. He is a nasty, corrupt, partisan fraud. He is, as Shakespeare had it, quote, a most notable coward... An infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality. <laughs> that is Joe Biden. I well, mean,
4: really amazing, and and I mean, it was that was like an all timer from Charlie Cook. If you haven't read it, just um, incredible. by the way,
3: I mean, we talked about this last week on the podcast, but but since then, more reporting on it, that column, and interestingly, uh, Maureen Dowd with mm-hmm. an opinion piece that uh, got some attention there as well. Again, Scott, it I just. I, of course, you're in New York City. You're there in the capital of the media world, and 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 the and the democratic and intelligentsia. What it, do you sense? That there's some some cracks there in the in the support. Are there people there? You know that, that are just in in that ecosystem that are thinking we need to look elsewhere.
4: I don't know. I mean, great question. I mean, I do find it interesting that a lot of this attacks on Biden from the media have come at a time when there's been quite a bit of polling out there showing his approval rating dropping, independents are fleeing him, and and some polling showing Donald Trump beating him in the election, not just uh, nationally, but like in swing state polling, if Trump ahead. So I find it interesting that all these things are coinciding. Um, By the way, I found it noteworthy that so I was looking around on that Marine Dowd piece, which if you haven't read that, I highly recommend it. You know, who is actually going to defend Joe Biden on this stuff? Well, we found him over at The View. If you haven't <laughs> seen, you haven't seen it, the women of The View defended Joe. They were just enamored with Joe Biden for ruining this little girl's life and denying her, her, uh, <laughs> her entrance into the Biden family. I just, you can always count on their, their perfect combination of ghoulishness and brain dead partisanship. It's really, really re- they remarkable. They just said, hey, but- you
2: just go find something else to write about, Marine. Don't look here. Just go write about anything else.
1: I don't know why they're not supporting one of their fellow female authors. Like, I mean, shouldn't they be? If they're supporting one of their own?
4: <sighs> they, gotta, they gotta defend it at all costs, man. It's funny. Uh, I say this all the time. I'm always amazed at the hills people are willing to die on. <laughs> and the people over at The View, they, this is like, they're gonna die on this hill?
2: Yeah.
3: Not a great look. And speaking of the presidential race, and you just mentioned President Trump and and those polls that uh, indicate that uh, though most of the American people don't want to see either him or Joe Biden uh, running for president, uh, that he is certainly competitive with uh, Joe Biden right now. And yet he's not going to be showing up apparently for some of the first debates in the primary season here. What's the latest on that, Scott, and what does this say about the state of the race?
4: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, well, Trump's I don't guess he's made an official announcement, but he's been making noise about not going to the first two debates. Um, and I guess he's not going to this big evangelical conference in Iowa this weekend. And this is, of course, amid a bunch of polling that shows him way ahead. In fact, the first poll that uh, the RNC will use to determine eligibility for the first debate is out. And he's way ahead. Plenty of support, over 50 percent. So he's really kind of phoning it in. Uh, right now. But uh, strategically, the question is, does he need to do anything more than that? I'm not certain that he does. I mean, if he goes to the debate, obviously, there'll be some people attacking him like Chris Christie and Asa Hutchison and others. If he doesn't go, yes, I'm sure he'll be mentioned. But the others may train their fire on Ron DeSantis, who they need to get out of the way to see if they can rise to the top of the non-Trump heap. So maybe for him right now, the best thing is just to float above it, look like the incumbent, act like the incumbent, and uh, you know, let the let the people over at the children's table, you know, engage in their food fight. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, it's, it's, I think it's an interesting
2: he, campaign. I think he definitely goes to that debate because you're right. It, it'll be a food fight, but I mean, does he perform better under any other circumstance? Like that is that is his element. We kind of saw it at the CNN town hall earlier this year. Just when he can get he he can get the crowd on his side like nobody else. They will throw slings and arrows, and he can deflect him because still no one has figured out how to attack the man. Um, and it, it just energizes his base in a way that I think he will not be able to resist.
3: You answered my question, I guess, then, Kevin, because I was thinking, you know, tactically, why would you? Because Donald Trump is the biggest ratings uh, magnet in this whole primary season. I mean, if, if you just hold this children's table, um, you know, primary debate. It, it becomes like watching a minor league baseball game, which is a major league baseball game. It is, it is game. the so B-team
2: debate right. that nobody would watch when there was an A-team debate. They just wouldn't have the A-team. It would just be right. the B.
3: So the question there is, does this matter? I mean, if, if, if the tree falls in the woods, uh, I, I guess, Scott, I mean, does this get much attention? Or uh, Maybe the media is, is hankering for someone oh. to be able to challenge him, and so they'll, they'll, they'll take care of that for them? I think it will get a lot of
4: attention because I think at this point, everybody wants to see how DeSantis is going to perform. He's obviously um, been suffering in media coverage lately. I mean, I think the press is desperate to, to kill him off because they see him as the only possible person who can defeat Trump. So they'd love to kill him off. Also these loyalty pledges, I guess in order to be in the debate, you have to sign a loyalty pledge. And And, and on top of that, in other news, you have to sign a loyalty pledge to be on the Florida primary ballot. Now, remember back in 16, when in one of the debates, all the candidates were asked, you know, will you support the Republican nominee? Everybody raised their hand except except for Trump. Yep. Yeah. And so I wonder even how Trump is going to handle that issue. Uh, uh, and so, which I think is, is, and you know, if he doesn't want to sign it, you know, not going to the debate means he doesn't have to sign it. I guess he's got some time on the Florida primary ballot issue. But even that to me is interesting. But I, I do think there actually will be a lot of attention on it because, you know, it's a bit of a slow summer, just to be candid. But I mean, I, I see very little happening. Some of the ads are interesting, some aren't. But that debate is going to be the first time to see people actually perform. Uh, I think there'll be a piling on of Ron DeSantis. Ramaswamy is a, you know, interesting pugilist. We'll see how he performs. Tim Scott, you know, great communicator. I do think there'll be some attention on it. I, I, I think despite the fact Trump won't be there, He'll obviously be discussed. Most of the questions will be about him, I assume. Uh, and, and I think the media is going they need something to cover in this race because nothing, it's pretty static.
3: I mean, Trump's ahead. He's got a little over 50% and it's been that way for a while. So one more just big picture question for you, Scott. Just looking at the rest of the fall here as we approach, of course, Fancy Farm is coming up for us here, sort of the beginning of the, the fall campaign season. But what are the benchmarks the rest of the fall in the presidential race or there certain times ahead of next year because i guess the first isn't the first primary in january isn't that
4: yeah new I- or Iowa. no i Iowa. was first and they've set their date uh, i believe it's january the 15th um pretty early uh but and then then you have new hampshire and then uh the first four are or then uh, nevada and south carolina coming along there so Iowa's was first and and, you know, look, I was talking to with a, a national political reporter about this the other day, and, and they said, you know, if Trump wins, Iowa is it over. And I, you know, I, to me, if he were to win it convincingly, if he were to win it overwhelmingly, yeah, I don't see how anybody else goes forward. I mean, honestly, I mean, he's ahead. If he wins Iowa, which he didn't win in 16. Are you going to beat him anywhere else? I don't know. Um, and then if he loses or wins narrowly or it's essentially a tie, you know, does that mean other people continue? It strikes me what, that the DeSantis strategy is to try to keep close to Trump or even narrowly beat him in Iowa, maybe right off New Hampshire, and then try to to move forward to South Carolina. I, I don't know. I, if he wins Iowa, it just strikes me he's going to be very, very difficult to beat because I don't know. He'll At that point, he'll have momentum, and I think there'll be a lot of pressure in the party for other people to, to get out of the way. But no, look, there's a, it's hard to predict. I mean, there's a, so much time left. I mean, anything could happen. People could get out. Uh, and endorsements could fly. I mean, I, you know, news, things in the news could shake the narrative of the race. So I had heard, I mean, heard or other read ind- other indictments could come, you know, right. exactly. Well,
3: that, that, I think that's a very relevant question in terms of what other legal action. And, uh, certainly the Trump's attorneys want to delay all that until after, uh, the, the election, but also this, the Koch brothers and other, uh, you know, deal makers and, and, and the power brokers, it's, it seems that, uh, you know, they're they're not interested in Donald Trump returning. So when does their influence begin making a a difference?
4: Well, they've had some ads, you know, some of these groups, uh, including Club for Growth uh, has an ad out right now. It's like, like a dude on a step and he's like, you know, saying how much he supported Trump, but he's lamenting, you know, Trump now and we need to move on and so on. And I saw some praise for it online. I just, I don't know. Maybe you guys have a thought on it. Jared. I, Like, it just strikes me that a television ad is unlikely to change your opinion of Donald Trump. I mean, after all, he is the most defined person in our politics. You have an opinion of him based on four years, two campaigns and a whole bunch of external news stories. Is a TV ad really going to even if it's something you agree with, is it really going to change your
0: attitude about it? Yeah, the only way I see, you know, especially with these debates, like Trump winning anybody back, and this is this is not really a scientific thing, is, is he's funny sometimes. He has these moments where he goes viral and he's funny, right? I, I think, generally speaking, most people are set on Trump. You, you know who he is, you know who he stands for, there's no ad, there's no debate, there's no new policy position that's going to flip you either for or against him anymore, but Man, sometimes he is still just so funny or ridiculous that you're like, eh, he's got he's a little bit wittier than that old guy we got right now. So maybe we need somebody who's got a little bit of snap and is still kind of energetic. I mean, even him at the UFC event, I mean, the crowd loved him and he's got a little bit more energy and Joe Biden's just kind of wobbling around on the beach in Delaware. I mean, there there's something to Trump kind of get in front of the camera, and I don't... I think he's lost it a little bit, you know, from at least 2016. But, again, I don't know that there's an ad or anything that's really going to move people, but I don't know, maybe he can do... I mean, the... Because you'd be in jail to Hillary, that that to me is still <laughs> such a defining moment, like such a funny... Uh, the, uh, the ability to, to deliver that line the way he did it was, was really incredible. And so he, you know, like we talked about debates being food fights. He this guy like invented these food fights. I mean, he's like the king of the food fights. And so I I could see him maybe having some witty, funny comment, but I don't know. It's he's, he's run out of nicknames. He's run out of some of these jokes. So who even knows what he can do anymore? Uh, But I certainly don't think ads or, you know, whatever it
3: it, may be is, is moving anybody. One last question for you, Scott on presidential politics. And that is, does this no labels? Joel Manchin uh, is it John Huntsman also involved with this? Is this is this going to make any difference whatsoever? I don't think so. I personally don't think so.
4: No. I mean, I will say this though: our friend, uh, friend of the pod, David Axelrod, former Obama advisor, uh, wrote or not you know if he wrote something or said something the other day, but basically was saying that the third party candidacy of Cornell West, he thought so. You know, get a low turnout. People don't want Trump and Biden. So you get a low turnout environment. You get a third party like Cornell West. He thought they actually could swing the election to Trump because you could have some disaffected progressives, you know, migrating away from Biden over to West. So I, I doubt the no labels thing is going to make
3: a difference. But in, in at least in Axelrod's mind, the Cornell West thing was consequential to him enough to say it out loud. Of course, when you live in such unprecedented times. At this point, why not? You I mean, just throw your hat in the <laughs> ring because anything might happen. It I was, wish I wish we lived in precedented times.
2: When, when are <laughs> precedented times? When has it not been unprecedented times,
3: Joe? I think the political environment that we're you get, by the in, way, by the way, you, you, you all sound
4: like Kamala Harris right now. <laughs> <laughs> what is the what is the nature of a precedented time? I remember all the precedents I used to get for Christmas. Go ahead, sir. Well,
1: (laughs) see her describing AI as being a fancy thing. It's a fancy thing. It's
2: actually an acronym. It's letters.
1: She said it's it's a fancy thing. It's two letters. That's a direct quote. Yeah. Well, she's (laughs) she's she's the vice president. All right.
3: (laughs) Let's talk about uh, before we head out here. uh, A, I mean, this is a nice little pay bump. Uh, in Jefferson County, Sean, so a, a- Oh my, yes. 24% raise, which is, I would think, unprecedented. <laughs> there you go again. At least that's unusual. A 24% increase in the salary
1: of- JCPS Superintendent Marty Polio.
3: So he's going what? from- $276,000. To?
1: 350000 That's sizable. And that's huge. And, and, you know, we talk a lot about education on this podcast. We talked a lot, you know, a few months ago about how the governor was wrong about the uh, teacher shortage numbers. But, I mean...
2: So, Sean, he must be running the best school district in the state. Like, every kid must be going to Harvard or something. That's not what these,
1: like, report cards say for the schools. Really? Yeah. You know, like, take you back to grade school, Kevin. You know, you would get a report card telling you how good you were doing. Okay. And, you know, if you got, like... A not so good grade typically meant that you you had to go like to remedial training. But I'm I'm very familiar with this. Yes, yes, I'm sure you are. <laughs> yeah. In Marty Polio's case, apparently you you get a twenty four. Did you say twenty four percent, Joe? Twenty four percent increase in your salary. An I mean, eighty
2: thousand oh, dollar increase. I
1: mean, imagine imagine Scott being a, a teacher when we have this teacher shortage, and you 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 work in Jefferson County Public Schools. And you read the news that your superintendent, your boss, has gone from making two hundred and seventy some odd thousand dollars a year to three hundred and fifty. How how do you think that makes a public school teacher feel?
4: Well, first of all, I like to correct some fake news. It's not twenty four percent; it's twenty seven percent.
3: Excuse according, me. Oh, oh, wow.
2: I went to remedial math, guys, and I never figured out how to figure. <laughs> I was just,
3: it. <laughs> I was reading the press reports. My bad. And uh,
4: and number two. Um, it would make me feel pretty bad, honestly. (laughs) And, uh, and, and, and as, as a taxpayer, I just, what's amazing about the Jefferson County schools is that they can't read, they can't write, they can't do math. I mean, the absolute learning deficiencies in this school system are so pronounced. I mean, you were talking about if you were in school, Sean, you'd get a report card and what, maybe, maybe Marty's just being judged on like, uh, You know attendance, like (laughs) like like it's like a certificate. Like, good job, you you showed up most days. I I, I don't
1: know. It must be like common core math. I don't know. I I never
3: understood that. But one explanation is uh, that because of his long tenure working within the school district, uh, that at this point he could retire and make the same salary in retirement as he's currently making as superintendent. So the, this is, this Oh is no, the, this please is,
0: don't retire. Oh no. <laughs> this is the carrot Wait. to
3: keep him there.
4: Let me, let me read some of this. This is from the Louisville public media write up. So this is our NPR radio polio's increased base salary is more than $90,000 higher than the state's top education official, Kentucky commissioner of education, white woke male, Jason glass earns, but a base salary of $260,000 a year.
2: Uh, WFPo put White
1: Woke Male in their reporting? That makes me feel really bad for
2: White Woke Male Jason Glass. Oh, man, my heart breaks for him now, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. uh, It
4: says, in the board's annual summary of polio, members evaluated the superintendent in seven areas, giving him a rating on the following scale. So you could be rated exemplary, accomplished, Developing or improvement, the board gave Polio an exemplary rating in the areas of strategic leadership, collaborative leadership, and influential leadership, citing quote his aggressive agenda this year to make changes. Doesn't say what kind of changes; it <laughs> just says changes. The board uh, highlighted uh, that he was retooling school start times, expanding summer learning, creating a more equitable school funding system. Mm. And it also praised him, and I thought this was noteworthy, for, quote, standing up for JCPS against a hostile state legislature. Take note, Republicans. So basically, uh, his evaluation was approved four to one. And one person voted against it, Chris who oh, who's a guy, member. That
2: guy, social, and,
4: and he was mad that they were too critical. Like, <laughs> I think he wanted more. He was, he was, he was like, we should be more praiseworthy of this man running the school system that teaches our children how not to read and do math. So and,
1: you know, send students to go protest legislation in Frankfurt. By the way,
4: to your to, to your question, by the way, in JCPs. Uh, let's see. Officials say the seek funding increase would have been enough to fund less than 1% pay raise. Let's see. The district used mostly local and federal pandemic relief funds to Mm -hmm. boost pay by 4% for school employees in 2021 and 5% in 2022. JCPS average teacher salary, $68,000 a year. So they're getting four or 5%. Marty polio, Getting a twenty-seven percent raise. So, so, Scott, I just want
1: to clarify something that you just read. Did you did you say that they used one-time funding from the federal government to increase the salary of teachers, and then used this increased seek funding basically to increase Polio's salary? Is that what, what that appears like to you?
4: That's what it looks like to me. So that's they took, what it looks that'll,
1: like. That'll to that me. funding right. from the general assembly that was meant for students and teachers. And gave it to this
4: guy. Yep, that's right. So there you go. The
1: the Republican legislators legislators in Louisville today put out a statement about this. And uh, I'll I'll read a little bit of it, but it said, while the General Assembly provided funding for teacher pay raises in the current budget, this money was intended for classroom educators, school bus drivers, cafeteria workers, and front office staff. It was not to continue the staggering expansion of central office or to pad the pockets of the district's administration— a modest increase may be in order given the scope of the position. However, it's an egregious insult to educators throughout the district and all who pay taxes to provide a raise of more than 25% in a dollar amount that outpaces the average teacher's salary.
3: By the way, my, my math before, I was I didn't do any math. I just was reading. So the Courier-Journal reported 24%. WFPL reported 27%. It appears from now that I finally have done the math on my own, it's closer to like 268 is the mm. increase. So whatever it is, but it's it's a lot. It's a lot.
4: It's a great a great ray. Good work if you can get it. All I mean, right. <laughs> what what is what is ama- just the, the I would think that you would base your performance review of a school system on one thing and one thing only. Are these kids learning and is the learning environment improving? It's not happening. No. Nope. Just not happening. And and he's being rewarded for it. These are your tax dollars. Pay attention people.
3: Well, some of the things they're talking about is uh, some changes that they're putting in place for this coming year. So, mm. you know, di- different start times. That he has deal oh, he's with only a-
0: been there half a decade. Let's just, get, <laughs> you know, and now he's got ideas. He had to figure out how it all worked. Amazing.
4: All right. I, I would like to wrap up the show with a scene read heard. Do you mind if I get started? I hope you do. Well, I've been in New York, as you mentioned, and I was able to bring one of my children with me. Uh, nine-year-old Winston. Winstagram, we call him in the Jennings household. And anyway, we've been on a great trip and seen a lot of neat things. But I was asking him today, because we're leaving tomorrow, what the most impactful thing or memorable thing for him was. And he told me the 9-11 memorial. I took Winston down mm-hmm. to the 9-11 site. We saw the sort of those infinity uh, pools and, and fountains where the footprint of the buildings where we went into the memorial in the museum. And uh, he, he really took his time, read the things, watched some of the videos, listened. There's a lot of audio content in there you can listen to. And he had read a book uh, about it uh, that was appropriate for his age. So I thought he was ready. And, and I have to say, I hadn't been down there in a few years and going through there just, I mean, look, it's been 20 something years and, and, and it just, the hair on the back of my neck stood up when I walked in there and just was reliving some of the news coverage and the artifacts and everything that happened. And I just, I was sad. I was anxious. And I was, um, frankly, just vibratingly angry walking through that. It was all those emotions we all had at the time. It all came back. And it was just going through there with, with him reminded me a couple of things. Number one, we can never forget. I know that's on all their stuff. We cannot ever forget that that happened. And number two, the vigilance required uh by the United States of America in this world never ends. And so I think I think uh, I was glad I took Winston and, and I'm glad that that he listed it his is his most memorable visit in, in New York City. So if you haven't been to it, you get up to New York. My encouragement to you to go down to nine eleven memorial is 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 uh, high. So that's my that's my scene for the week.
1: Sean, I have a scene. Dun dun dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, you saw it. I saw it. I saw Indiana Jones. The Disney version. The, the Dial of Destiny uh, with my yeah. father in Owensboro. Now, Scott kind of
3: panned some of the the authenticness of, of, of this last week. So. Well,
1: you know, there is some de-aging that goes on, and, and I think Scott's right. I think his exact comment was they didn't de-age his voice. Um, yeah, it's weird. It, it's a little It's a little jarring at first, but I think overall the film was really good. I, I would go see it again. Okay. Um, and I thought it was a fitting send off for uh, Indiana Jones. I thought it was really well done. So uh, for me, uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny uh, was really well done. It moved fast and uh, I really liked it. Kevin?
2: Uh, our air conditioner broke during the hottest week of the year uh, last year. So I saw, read, or heard nothing. Pass. <laughs> Wow. Your air conditioner is out. It yeah, is, is it blessedly bad? fit. It got fixed yesterday. I had some great folks from Jarbo's here in Louisville. Thank you guys at my house yesterday for 10 hours Oh my God, replacing the whole system. Oh, we are cool sorry. now. So not
4: only so not only am I showing you lots of respect by yelling at you this week, but I'm sure your wife was also respecting you quite
3: a lot. <sighs>
2: My entire family has been a bunch of troopers throughout this whole process, and you'll hear me say nothing else.
3: After that kind of a job, though, you need either a 24 or 27% pay increase.
2: I, I will be uh, contacting management uh, about that. Jared, Especially now that I've been yelled at. That's right. Because Jared. we're so close now.
3: What you got,
0: Jared? Uh, I will just use my seeing red herd time to give a shout-out to my wife. Today's her birthday. She hey. puts up with me Sorry, doing there was all a flood. these things uh, late night. And, yes, yeah, she put up with the flood. She just got a new job here in Vermont she's very excited about, too. So shout out to my wife. Happy birthday.
3: I have three real quick because tomorrow's my son's 19th birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Today and to, and, and on, on Thursday, my father is competing in the National Senior Games in Pittsburgh. He's a champion bowler. This is amazing. So He's a good champion him. bowler? He is indeed. He has been since... Nineteen fifty in the U.S. Army, and so he's still bowling. He'll be ninety this fall, and he's uh, he traveled to Pittsburgh to compete in the National Senior Games. How did How he
2: get to Pittsburgh? He drove. He drove
3: yes, he all drove. the way to Pittsburgh himself. Yes, that's what he does. He drives.
2: Like, this is amazing.
3: Anyway, driving. Good luck to him. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's he's just a great guy. But last thing is, uh, I was in Cave City, Kentucky yesterday, and made it a point to go to. It was highly recommended. Bolins B O L. I N apostrophe S yes, Boland's market and garden center for some of the best uh, tomatoes. You're going to find some of those heirloom tomatoes, oh. Scott, that are so great. This meaty, yeah. just big old, they're ugly looking, but they're really, really good. So <laughs> yeah. um, the,
4: uh, can I, can I say something about the bowling? Yes. I uh, got up early in the morning the other day and you went bowling, found an article about a bowler named Jason Belmonte. I don't watch bowling and I don't bowl often. But little did I know that two handed the two handed bowling technique
3: yes is apparently
4: like it's is like all the rage in professional bowling now really yes and you go on YouTube and watch these people dude they throw the ball <laughs> so hard but Belmonte was kind of the first now there's others that are emulating him but you go on his YouTube channel and watch what this guy can do holy cow I promise you. When I get home, I'm going to the bowling. I'm going to try it. I mean, you can't not. This is like the equivalent is if like professional golfers just decide, you know what? We're just going full happy Gilmore. Happy
2: Gilmore, Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> this is what they look like to me when they're doing, except they're actually the best bowlers, these two headed bowlers. So anyway, it's, it's pretty remarkable. I don't know what your dad. If he's using the one handed or the two handed. He's, uh,
3: he's still with the, the, the same form. He learned at St. Mary's grade school in Belleville, Illinois, when he was a pin setter in 1940. So, wow. Goodness gracious. Yes. So, yes. Um,
4: There was, I got to find the the article I read. It was like, uh, yeah, it was in GQ. It's called The Man Who Broke Bowling. And it's about Jason Belmonte. And initially it says his two-handed technique made him an outcast. But then it made him the greatest bowler and changed the sport
3: forever. So, NGQ, the man who broke bowling, highly recommend. First baseball and now bowling is broken. For Jared, (laughs) Sean, Kevin, and Scott, I'm Joe. Have a great week. Fly Over Country with Scott Jennings
4: is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Fly Over Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast.